0: If you will, bow your heads with me. Dear God, we come to you now, thankful for all your many blessings, dear Lord, and we just ask that you just speak directly to us, dear Lord, let's hear the word that you have prepared for us, and then let us go out and live it as you live through us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So we are covering some scripture here, and it's the lead up to Easter, the journey to Calvary, as we're calling it, and uh, last week we talked about um, the episode where Jesus washes the feet of his disciples and kind of the, all the symbolism and the, the foretelling that is going on there and the, you know, the theology involved in that and then how we are supposed to go out and execute that on our own and, and be the example of Christ as we serve um, as servants and slaves to our brothers and sisters. And then this, mo- this morning we're going to continue in John 13 and uh, this is a... Uh, this is a subject sometimes that just kind of gets glossed over. Um, it's kind of a footnote in history. Um, we kind of look at it and we kind of think, yeah, I know. I know all about that. It's just kind of getting to the next part, which is the, the actual Eucharist, the, what we call the Last Supper communion, and uh, it kind of gets skipped over. But there's, there's something that happens here that is just of ultimate ultimate importance, all right, and um, it's something that sometimes I I don't think is told enough or told in the right way or whatever is happening there, but when you figure out in the historical proper setting what's going on here, it kind of opens our eyes to the importance and to the nature, the very nature of who Jesus Christ is. And again, it's in John 13. And uh, I think we're on the wrong one, Scott. So it journey to the Calvary 2. I can do it old school if we need to. So so until he gets that up, or if he gets it up. um, What's that? It's a... 13, 18, I do not speak concerning all of you. So if you have your Bibles, you can do it old school. Most of you do on your phones or whatever, okay? So we are in John 13, 18, and this is Jesus speaking. And uh, we have just finished where he is, uh, has washed his disciples' feet, and he has given us the, the instructions to go out and to do likewise, all right? And then in, in the middle of this, there's this extraordinary... Event that takes place, and again, sometimes it gets it gets uh, kind of glossed over. And we're in verse 18, and he says, "I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I am, whom I have chosen, but that the scriptures may be fulfilled, he who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am He." All right, so real quick as he is talking this is the this is the betrayal the identification of the betrayer and the thing that the first point that he is making and it's a critical point here and he is saying that he knows who he has chosen so i think sometimes if we read this and we think that jesus wasn't aware that maybe jesus or judas was a devil or that he was betraying him and that it, you know, Jesus is God. And even though he is in the flesh here and he is 100% man, he never becomes any less God. So he is God and he is aware of all things that is going on here. And this is, this is kind of amazing here that um, sometimes we read this and we kind of scratch our head, you know, um, in the scene where Mary is um, anointing Jesus' feet with her hair and with the oil, there's a statement that uh, Judas makes, and he says, you know, why, why are we wasting this? Why, why don't we sell it? And we can make 300 denarii and give it, that way we could give it to the poor, all right? And the statement that he's saying, it's kind of outrageous because uh, Judas is a thief, and he is the treasurer. He's the one who has the money box, and he was chosen to be the treasurer. And at the same time, he has been stealing all these years. He's been embezzling, I think is the, is the legal term. And Jesus knows it. And sometimes, you know, as someone who went to business school or, you know, someone who, you know, why, we kind of come away with like, why would he put a thief in charge of the money? And um, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of theological lessons going on there. And I think it just kind of sums up that um, Jesus, when he says, "Don't store up treasures here on earth, but invest in things that are eternal," he really means it. You know, because money comes and comes and goes, and if you put all your trust in things of this earth and and money, then you're going to be sorely disappointed. And you know, and if you've got money, I don't have to tell you the stock market goes up and down. You know, your investments go away, your investments go up, and, you know, some people live by that, and it, it's a tough life, but we have the identification here that Jesus knows the nature of Judas. Now, that is extremely important here in what we're talking about, and when we're talking about, like, that Judas is about to, to betray Jesus, it's important to understand that Jesus knows the nature of Judas. He knows, and that's what he's saying. I know who I have chosen. I know your nature. I know what you're capable of doing. And here we have the man, Judas, who has technically been embezzling all these years, and he is the guy with the money box. And then the other thing I, I need to remind you about is last week we talked about the seating arrangements and how it went from the hierarchy out in The more seniority you had, the closer you were to Jesus. Okay, now this is important as well. And we know that, and we're going to figure out that John, who wrote this this scripture, is right next to Jesus. Okay, we know that Peter's pretty close. But then on the other side of Jesus is Judas, and he's close. Yeah, there we go. So we have, so there it is, okay. Okay. And so we have, thanks Scott, so we have um, the seating arrangements and we have people who are, have more seniority um, and maybe more responsibility or closer sitting to Jesus. And they go out and next to Jesus on one side is John and on the other side is Judas who is the keeper of the money. Now that's important because Judas has the ability and the opportunity a lot of times to have a one-on-one discussion with Jesus. He can have a discussion without the others around, and it's perfectly normal. Now, that's important to remember here as we, as we go through this, okay? And there are some things going on here that need to be put into their historical setting, their historical pretext. Not only is the seating arrangement important, all right, but also the actual event of eating with someone signifies a great amount of respect. So once you shared a meal in biblical times, and this time that they're sharing a meal here, this is of utmost importance, especially a banquet-style meal like this. This isn't something that you would just do. Okay, um, we you know we go to restaurants. And we get seated next to people, and you know, you just kind of tune them out, and you're with your own little party there. And then sometimes you enter, bring people into your home, and you entertain them, and it's a friendship building, it's a trust building. There's a relationship, a bond going on there, all right? And so for someone to come and share a meal with the host, and then in Psalms, it says, even my own familiar friend whom I trusted who ate my bread, who broke bread with me, who shared a meal with me, has lifted his heel up against me, has taken an action of, um, you know, like assault or treachery against me. So not only is it that they're, you know, that, that this is uh, breaking bonds here, but this is like the actual sharing of a meal, and there's significance here. Not only in the seating arrangement, but that they are setting down in this formal dining room okay so there's a lot of historical pretext that's going on here and sometimes we don't actually identify all the stuff that's going on in this room and if you will remember as the disciples came into this meal they were arguing amongst themselves who was the most important who was going to sit where in heaven you know and when they get in there Jesus he takes off his outer clothing he puts on the clothing of a slave he washes their feet because there is no other servant there to do it And then he does that great act of humility and service. He tells you this is what you're supposed to do. And then he sits down. And then in the middle of this, he's getting ready to institute communion, the Eucharist. But here he says, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him said, oh, that's the, I'll get back on track here, sorry. So when Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit. So this was, Also, the uh, identifier that he knows what's about to happen, and it's troubling in his spirit, okay, that one of his very own would betray him, that he has spent all this time with Judas, and Judas was more about Judas than he was about Christianity, about Jesus and his mission. It was more about Judas, and I think sometimes we need to come up, and we need to have a face-to-face conversation, not only with ourselves, but Judas is getting ready to have a face-to-face conversation with Jesus, all right? And this is, a, this is a conversation that goes good or not so good. Because there's, there's an old word that we very, real, very seldom use anymore. It's called providence. And providence is the will of God. And the will of God is going to happen. Okay? If it's the will of God, it's going to happen. And then there's this thing called concurrence. And that is man's activity as it associates with God's will. So sometimes our activities enable the will in a, good, in a good way, when we encourage somebody, when we befriend somebody, when we strike up a friendship with somebody, and we help mold them and push them towards, you know, accepting Jesus Christ as their Savior, or maybe staying on the straight and narrow, but that is a, happening in a good way. But there's also providence to where we make bad decisions, and it works in agreement with God's will, and it helps, you know, reveal God's will, helps You know, make sure that his will is happening. And when we look back, you know, all the way to Genesis 3, we see that Jesus Christ is going to die for sinners. He is the Savior. He is the one who is going to save us. And even before the earth was even formed, Jesus Christ was our Savior. There is no one else that we can be saved by. No other person could take that journey up to the cross, all right? And it says there that he was bothered in spirit because he loves Judas, Judas is one of his own, and he knows what is about to happen, all right? Have I made that point clear, that he knows what's about to happen? He knows that Judas is in the, in the midst of betraying him and getting ready to cement the deal. And he says, most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Now, there's the identifier right there. And for us who are reading this 2,000 years later, you know, we think, well, that's pretty blunt, right? Well, right after this moment where he has washed their feet, and you know, there's this moment of brotherhood, then he makes this very blunt statement is that one of you are going to betray me. And you can imagine, you know, as there was this spirit of brotherhood after Jesus has washed their feet, after he has taken the robe that he's wearing and wiped their feet down, and as the smudge and the dirt and, and all that comes off onto his clothing, all the symbolism there going on, all the foretelling that he has taking the, the sins off of us onto him, he is going to die. He is doing the most sacrificial event that could ever happen. And we have this spirit of brotherhood. And then he says this very blunt statement that says, one of you are going to betray me. And you can imagine the, the, like the, the instant taken back that maybe even some of them might have even lost their breath. And I'm sure there's this moment of silence there as they're kind of looking around like, did I hear him right? Did, did he say one of us is going to betray him? And then, you know, there even could be this amount of guilt, like, well, is it going to be me? Am I the one that's going to do it? Am I strong enough? And so there's all this internal discussion going on with each other. All right? And the Bible goes on and says, Now there was one leaning on Jesus' bosom. So as we see him in in this seating arrangement, you know, there's not chairs, so they're, lean, they're, they're leaning in. And sometimes they would lean against each other, all right, which is another form of friendship and a bond. And so we have John who never, you know, four times he calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved, and that's how he refers to himself there. So we have John who's obviously right next to Jesus because they're leaning against each other. And it says that, and who breaks the silence? Who would break the silence? Simon Peter. So Simon Peter motioned to him, to John. You know, he's not going to ask himself. And it could be that he whispers it or says it under his breath or just a one-on-one statement here. You know, he says, hey, motion is to him. And he says, ask the Lord, who is it? So then John turns to Jesus and says, who is it? Who's the betrayer? And in Matthew, we have a verse here that is not found in John. And sometimes it's like, well, why is it in Matthew, why is it not in John? Here could be the explanation of that. In the setting where they're seated, John might not have been able to hear what was being said on the other side. Have you ever gone to dinner with anyone over the age of 42? Do you know what you say a lot of? What'd you say? What'd he say? What'd she say? Who are you talking about? <laughs> Isn't that crazy? It just, I mean, I don't want to pick on my mother-in-law, but she is deaf as a post. Thank God she got some help. Now, now you can't talk about her anymore because she here I heard that. She got some earbuds. She can hear you, so you gotta watch what you say about her, but isn't that? But sometimes, you know, it's frustrating, isn't it? You can't hear. And so that was some of what was going on here. And it says that in Matthew, he sees that Judas turns to Jesus and says, Rabbi, teacher, is it me? And Jesus said, You said it. You identified yourself. Now, real quick, let me just stop there just for a second, because I need you to ask yourself something. All right? And I'm not just, I'm not talking about betraying Jesus, but let me ask you this. How many times have we identified ourselves as the problem in our lives? How many times have you come to the stark realization that you're the problem? And here's, and every family's got the one who never thinks it's their problem. And if you're sitting there right now saying, we don't have that in my family, you're the one. (laughs) It's time to self-identify. All right? So Judas self-identifies. And sometimes in our nature, we know where our faults and weaknesses are. Faults and weaknesses are faults and weaknesses. But the ability to identify that can end up being a good thing. Because now you're having a face-to-face conversation with Jesus Christ. And it's all up to you how it goes. And you can accept that you are the fault and keep moving towards failure. Or you can put an end to it and say, don't let it be me, dear Lord. Help me. Give me strength. That's not how this conversation goes. And if you're honest with yourself, a lot of times we talk and have a conversation with Jesus, just like Judas, where he says, is it me? And Jesus says right back to us, yes, you identified yourself. And it says, Jesus answered, it is he to whom I should give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, I think it's called the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Okay? Now, for those of us reading this, we think that is as crystal clear as it could be, right? He says, one of you are going to betray me, and they're all wondering, who is it, who is it, who is it? And then Jesus says, it's the one that I give this bread to, all right? Now, there's confusion in the room, and here's the reason why there's confusion And this is something that I need you to really absorb in here. Because we've already talked about the importance of breaking bread. We've already talked about the importance of sharing a meal and what that means. And if anybody breaks that bond, uh, great treachery to the heart in this day and age. But also in the course of the meal, there's some things that go on. So for instance, there's great respect shown when you have one of your servants come in and wash their feet. Okay? That didn't happen here, so Jesus did it himself, signifying that he is the great servant. He is the one who is going to wash us clean. Right? And now we're here, and the discussion of betrayal, the discussion of failure is up. Who is the betrayer? And he says, it's who I give this sop to, as they called it. All right? So it's, they break the bread, dip it in the wine, and they hand it. Now, in the historical context of what's going on here, is that not only is it of great importance to hold a meal with people, great respect, a bond building, but for the host to kind of acknowledge the most special guest in the whole place, maybe the, the head of the household of the other family that has come in to eat with them, the way that he signifies that and the way that he signifies respect showing that I am showing you respect. This is the highest honor I can do in my house. I have invited you here for a meal, so I'm sharing my home. I'm sharing my my food with you. I'm sharing fellowship with you. I have provided my servants to wash your feet. And now I am breaking the bread, making the sop, and I am actually serving you. And that is the sign of the highest honor in the whole room. And in the midst of all the deceit and treachery that is going on between Judas towards Jesus, Jesus takes the action and he makes and shows the greatest honor and respect and love towards Judas. Why on earth would he do that? He already knows he's a devil. He's been stealing from him. They've already had this discussion. Is it me? Yes, it is. And now he hands this off to him. And it says there that he gave it to Judas, Iscariot, now the piece of the bread, and Satan entered him, and then Jesus, and once he did that, then Jesus puts it on him, and this is the face-to-face conversation, all right? Because he has just told him, do you realize what he's just said to him? Judas in the midst of your turmoil, in the midst of your betrayal, your scheme of treachery, I love you. I am making a public showing that I love you. And there, in the midst of all your failing, knowing that you have been stealing from the money box all these years, I love you. And I'm... Willing to show that by giving you the highest honor of the meal. By giving you the sop. And I think that you're making the correlation here is that even in our worst moments, even in our greatest defeats, even in our greatest failures, Jesus Christ loves us. And he's willing to restore us. He's willing to make us the... You know, the honored guest of the feast. And we see that throughout the Bible. That's the Old Testament. Prodigal son comes in. What? I want to come back home. I'll be one of your servants. And what's the father say? You're not going to be a servant. You're my son. You're my child. You will wear the honored robe. Make you the the prized guest. The honored guest we will kill the fatted calf. We'll have a meal in your honor. And that is what is going on here. Is that the great betrayer in the midst of his betraying is shown greatest amount of love from Jesus Christ. And this is not a show. Just like the washing of the feet was not a show. This is genuine love. And it's a face-to-face conversation with Jesus Christ. They look eye-to-eye. As he hands him the sop. And there is a, a decision that has to be made. Is it going to be that I will accept your will and I'll do what you're asking me to do? It might be terrible, it might be hard, but you'll be there to strengthen me and see me through it? Or is it, I can't give this up because I want it my way and I'm trying to force it my way and I want my will done the way that I want it done. And sometimes we don't say it in those words, but sometimes we say it in action. And it's important. To have those eye to eye conversations, and, and so sometimes we see this that it's, that it's said out of anger or it's said out of you know disgust. But I'm here to tell you that Jesus Christ is looking at the great betrayer and He's looking at Him with compassion and with love, He is His honored guest if He will accept it. And it says that. He took it, and then Jesus puts it on him. Whatever you got to do, go do it quickly. And it says, but no one at the table knew for the reason he said this to him. And it could be that this was a one-on-one, a quiet moment here. Because we have, you know, the seating arrangement that's got people separated. And sometimes it's hard to hear for some thought because Jesus had the money box that Jesus told him to go buy things that is needed for the feast, or that he should go out and give something to the poor. And then here's what I, I'm going to end with. And having received the piece of bread, he then went out immediately. And guess what? It's nighttime. It's dark. You know why it's dark? He has removed the light of the world from his life. Now let me ask you this, okay? If you feel like you're in the nighttime of your life, if you're in the evening of your life, if you feel like things are dark, if you feel like you can't find your way, you can't see where you're going, you feel like you're alone, you feel like you're doing this all by yourself, you feel like you're not being lifted up, I'm here to tell you that Jesus Christ is always willing love us. He's always willing to be there for us. There's not anything that can separate us from the love of God. And we will see that even another one betrays him, denies him. And yet there's a a complete forgiving that happens. And I'm here to tell you that this event, it doesn't need to be glossed over because it reveals the nature of of who Jesus Christ is. And Jesus Christ is God, and God is love. God is love, and we are supposed to reflect that, okay? Am I asking you to look at people who are betraying you and to look at them with love and with compassion? Is that what I'm asking you to do? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. And I'm I'm talking to Aaron P. Phelps here this morning, okay? You guys just get to watch it. And that is a hard thing to do. And can you imagine if we were placed in the seat of Jesus Christ and we knew he was betraying us, what kind of action would we do? I'd give him some poison sop or something, you know what I mean. I mean, it'd be a different kind of altercation there going on. But... Aren't you thankful in your heart that Jesus Christ looks at every single one of us with love, forgiveness, and compassion, regardless of what kind of darkness is in your life. So if you're living in the night, come towards the light, because I promise you, He's there with you. Thank you for tuning in to Star Church's Sermon we truly hope that the sermon edified you today and brought you closer to the lord for more information about star church visit our website at stargbchurch.com once again that's stargbchurch.com if you would like to visit our church our address is 4925 state road 142 north el dorado illinois 62930 we now pray that god will bless you as you enter the mission field and bring his word to the world And as always, we will see you next time here at Star Church.